Hello, and welcome to The Delicious Truth with Gloria Cotton. I'm Gloria. During this podcast, we're going to cover a variety of topics that are impacting our everyday lives. We'll look at four things for each topic. One, the absolute empirical truth. That's all about the facts and data. Then we'll look at the personal experiential truth. And that's about how those facts and others do and don't show up in people's lives and their experience of them. Next, the consequential, impactful truth. The difference this makes in people's lives. And finally, you'll hear about resources and solutions you can use to empower yourself and others. Hello, everyone. My name is Gloria Cotton, and uh, this episode has a little different flavor, a little different energy than all of the others that I have done, aside from um, post-traumatic slavery disorder. And it has that difference because there is a lot of trauma, a lot of hurt and pain around this, and we need to break the code of silence that has surrounded this topic for generations. And we're gonna talk about it. I'm talking about child sexual abuse. Now we know that because of the pandemic, abuse period has increased in the United States and around the world. Abuse of people, whoever has power, um, if it's physical power, if financial power, intellectual power, psychological power, whoever has that, many of those people have been using that power, that strength that is intended to help people to hurt people. We understand that. But we're going to focus particularly on child sexual abuse um, because those numbers are unfortunately ridiculous too. One in five girls and one in 20 boys are reportedly uh, victims of child abuse. And I, I say reportedly because I know that there are many more that are not reported. But if we just had those numbers, what is an acceptable number of children that can be abused before we rise up and say enough is enough. We have to do this collectively. Um, You know, the self-report studies show that 20% of adult females and five to 10% of adult males recall childhood sexual assault and sexual abuse incidents. And we know that some of the people who are victimizing children are doing so because they're reliving the trauma of their own abuse. We have to deal with those people too, because we can't have more compassion. We can't have more focus on those people who are now perpetuating and hurting people than we do the people they're hurting. We cannot do it. And the code of silence is that you protect those people, the majority of whom are men, but sometimes women and then people who are non-conforming or non-binary. So this isn't just one group that's doing this horrible stuff. It goes across all races, all financial stabilities. Um, it goes across all religions, uh, beliefs. It, it's, you can find it in every quarter of human beings. We have, it, it's, it's a pandemic that people are not addressing in the way they should. 
So we're going to be talking about that today. According to the National Institute of Justice, three out of four adolescents who have been sexually abused were victimized by someone they knew well. This wasn't a stranger. It's someone they knew well, maybe someone in their own home, in their own family, someone who is quote unquote trusted. And they abuse that trust by abusing the child. I want to call out and thank the Olympians who have spoken out against this. And I want y'all to think for a minute about the response people have given when these young women have spoken about out about the abuse that they suffered. Not once or twice, but for years it was ongoing. So I want to call out Simone Biles. Thank you so much for touching that brave place within you to speak out and say no more. Thank you to Michaela Maroney. Thank you. No more. Thank you for Ali uh, Raymond. No more. And thank you to Maggie Nichols. No more. What does this abuse look like? Well, it takes on many different forms. It is attempted rape. It's fondling and unwanted sexual touching. It's forcing the victim to perform sexual acts such as oral sex or penetrating the perpetuator's body. I'm thinking of a time someone I know uh, was six years old and the babysitter who was a grown woman had this young boy come over to her and kiss her legs. Y'all, that was sexual abuse. She wasn't fondling him. She didn't penetrate him. He didn't have to take his clothes off, which a lot of people do as children. But her abuse, and some people say, well, that was nothing. Excuse you? What might that do to a young person's mind about what sex is, about relationships with women going forward? Those are some of the examples of what uh, sexual abuse is. Here, here's some other things. Exhibitionism, exposing yourself to a minor. Um, masturbation in the presence of a minor. Forcing them to masturbate. And then the guilt that they sometimes feel because it can feel good physically. But again, this is how it messes with and goes over from sexual abuse to mental and emotional abuse because then they start feeling guilty about what their body does naturally, about what their body does naturally. Obscene phone calls, text messages, particularly now, oh my goodness, people taking pictures of their genitalia and sending it. What in the world is wrong with people that we are perpetuating this hell? Producing, owning, and sharing por pornographic images or movies of children, of anyone who does not have the ability to defend themselves, of anyone who is not able to defend, they're not able to give consent. They are not mentally able. They are not psychologically able. They are not old enough. So this happens with children, but it also happens with the abuse of older people. 
and people who have disabilities and are confined and constrained to bed or something where people just crawl up on them and do all this ugly stuff. There is nothing nice about this. Um, sex of any kind with a minor, including vaginal, oral, or anal. Sex trafficking. Sex trafficking. Any other sexual conduct that is harmful to a child's mental, emotional, psychological, physical, and spiritual well-being. That's what we're talking about. This stuff is going on. Why is it going on? Well, some of the reason that it's going on is because of the negative patriarchal systems that we have that protect men at all costs. Whoever we have to throw under the bus, that's what we're doing. Child, you're supposed to be seen and not heard. Don't talk about it. We have to protect your uncle, your cousin, your father, your grandfather, whoever it may be. The women that go along with this stuff for different reasons, I've heard, well, I have to, he is controlling all the money. And if I take my child away from this, some women even taking their children and offering them to these molesters, is this sick or what? And their reasons are, I'm doing it to protect the family. We might be out on the street. Isn't it better? No, it is not. At the end of this, I'm going to give you some organizations that you can go to. If I sound like I'm angry, it's because I am. This stuff, this crap, this garbage, this shit has got to stop. I was molested myself when I was six years old by my stepfather for three days. The first day, it was fondling. And I was raised in a family that is very loving. We love strangers. My grandmother used to say there are no strangers. It's just people we haven't seen for a while or people we're seeing again. So everyone was welcome. Now he was in the family. I met him when I was six. I thought he was kind and loving. The very first day my mother was at work. I don't know where my grandparents were because my grandparents lived with us as well. Um, my brother was out doing something. He was uh, seven years older, so he was 13. And so he took me into the bedroom and he said, we're going to play a game. And it's just between you and me because I love you. So these people use fear and love as the weapon. So children will welcome this because they think it's a game or they think it's a special privilege or they think it's something good. Ain't nothing good about this. The second day, it was when he was rubbing his penis on me. And then the third day, he tried to actually put himself inside me, which couldn't happen. A lot of pain. I later, that after that third time, I told my grandmother. I remember she was washing my hair, and I had a lot of it by th back then. She was washing my hair, and I said, Mom, I want to tell you a secret. And I told her. Now, this is what this woman did this wonderful, beautiful woman who loved me. She said, first of all, baby, what he did was wrong. Many times people make the children wrong. What the hell is that about? She made sure I knew it was not because of anything I had done. Then she said, he is doing this because he is sick. The accountability rested with him. 
not making excuses for, none of that. She was making it plain to me. And she said, he needs help. I understood that at six years old. I understood that. She said, we have to tell your mother. I had not lived with my mother. I had been living with my grandparents from six months to six years old. So I knew my mother, of course. I had seen her throughout those six years. But I didn't have that close relationship with her as I did my grandmother and my grandparents. When she told me that, I was a little unsettled. I, I was because he told me it was supposed to be a secret. I felt comfortable t- sharing that secret with my grandmother. When she said, we have to tell your mother, I was a little unsettled. I was unsure. I didn't know what to do. She told my mother. My mother then got a gun and put it to his head and threatened to kill him. <laughs> okay, that is something a six-year-old child does not need to witness. That is something a six-year-old, and I started wondering, is this my fault? My grandmother then took me out and said, remember, this is not your fault. But then as my mother was talking to my stepfather, my brother came in from playing basketball. I loved him. He is and then and now my hero. He just got the gist of it. And here's what this man, who young man who loved me said. He looked at me and he said, what did you do? And that was the beginning of guilt that I felt. How dare you put guilt on a child for something that they were a victim of? How dare you? Well, I understand. He didn't understand. And this is where he was coming from with his mental mindset at the time. Wrong. Somebody, and that was never addressed. That was never addressed. My stepfather did leave for a time. He went to therapy and that sort of thing, came back, lived in the house. And here's what my mother said. This is this patriarchal protection crap. She said to me, don't tell your father, my biological father, because he will kill him. And we don't want that crime. We don't want your father convicted of that crime. And maybe he'll be sent to prison and maybe he'll be killed. Too much weight on a six-year-old. Where is that coming from? I don't know. I don't care. Stop it. Stop blaming children, holding them accountable, saying that they have to have the weight of something an adult has done or a young person has done. Children sometimes molest children. We have got to stop that ugliness. We've got to stop it. We all ended up living together and everything was fine. My mother died when I was 19. And that same stepfather came to me and said, we're living alone in the house. We can do whatever we want to do. I'll give you anything you want if we can have a sexual relationship. Do y'all hear what I said? I looked at him and I said, you've been my stepfather since I was six. Let's keep it like that. And then I started making plans to leave the house, which I did. I will tell you that those credit cards that he gave me, I ran them up to maximum. Yes, I did. I bought stuff and gave it to my friends. I wasn't keeping any of that crap because it was my way of making him pay for all of that stuff and what he must have kept in his mind since I was six years old. For 13 years, he had been fiending about someone that he was supposed to protect and love. We have to protect our children, their bodies, 
their minds, their precious hearts. We have to do that. Um, this, this, uh, what, what perpetuates this code of silence? Because we find it in families. We find it in communities. We find it in churches. We find it in schools. Every institution, you have it showing up where people are expected to not protect the children or not protect whoever's been victimized, not protect the young, uh, young men, not protect the young women, not protect the older people, that people use sex as a way to flaunt their power, okay? They're cowards, really, who are using this to feel better about themselves. And like any addiction, they have to keep feeding it because it never works. I have, see, I understand all that intellectually. I understand it psychologically. I understand it emotionally. I understand it even spiritually. I've heard people say hurt people hurt. Okay, and they have to be held accountable. They have to be held accountable. That's not a dismissive statement where we can let them get away with anything because hurt people hurt. Stop making excuses for these people. What can you do? What can you do in your families? What can you do in these institutions? Of course, we're holding people. It's, it's a crime. So people need to be, and they are being brought up on charges. But then notice how long it takes for these things to go to court and go to trial. Just notice how they hope things will die down and people will forget so they can let these victimizers go and get right back to what they were doing. Think about that. Think about that. It just, it, I am in deep depths of pissivity. That's my word. When I look at these people who are brought up on charges and and many people are saying they did this, they did this, they did this. And how many men are being disrespectful to them in courts of law? I think about somebody in the South, some Republican, I'm going to call it out, not like Republicans are the only people who are sick in this way, saying that it was impossible for a woman to be raped. She had hormones that would kick in and shut her body down so she could not be, what the hell are you talking about? All of that is a part of the code of silence that protects the patriarchy. We have got to stop it. So we've got to hold our courts accountable. We need women and men and non-binary people to stand up for what's right. It's not just justice. Yes, justice and accountability, but we have to stop the insanity of this crime that has gone on for too long. We have to look at our church leaders. We have to look at the leaders and administration of school systems. We have to look to our community leaders. We have to look to our family leaders who are there protecting by not saying anything protecting and giving um, the privilege of doing it again to these people in all, wherever we find them. Some organizations you might want to look at are 
you know, uh, RAIN, R-A-I-N-N. It stands for Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. It's the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization. And when you tap into them, you will see that they have many recommendations for tips, for documents, for places that you can go, for systems that are in place, for uh, professionals, psychiatrists, etc., therapists that you can go to, for people who will mentor the children and the rest of the family. This is this is a thing that affects not only one person, the person who is abused. It's the entire family. It's the entire church. It's the entire Olympics. It's the entire school system that is affected. And so everybody needs to have some mentoring, some coaching. Everybody needs to have some healing brought to them with this disease that ravages the human mind, body, spirit. So you can check out RAIN. Um, they have a lot of statistics also for those of you who need that. Check out the Children's Assessment Center in Houston, Texas. Read Tarana Burke's book, Unbound. She was the woman who started the Me Too movement. I saw her um, September 15th on The View. It is season 25, episode seven, where she talks about how she was abused. And that was her child sexual abuse, not only once, twice, but three times and how it was met and how she kept this code of silence because that's what she was trained to do. And she was a teenager when she finally, her mother finally knew. A teenager before her mother finally knew. We have got to train our children, not only don't talk to strangers, but how do you engage with people who are abusing the privilege of knowing you? You can read Know My Name, a memoir by Chanel Miller. There are so many things. You can go online and go to the Department of Justice and look at the facts and data about the increase of this. That's one thing. But beyond the facts and data is the fact that this is killing people's spirits. It's killing people's creativity. It messes with people's whole beings, not just for a short amount of time, but mapping across into their adulthood and maybe throughout their lifetime. I'm grateful to my grandmother. I'm grateful to her because it's she is the reason. I never had any question or felt uncomfortable with sex. I knew what it was for. I knew the purpose of it, the beauty of it, what it could be. I had someone to protect me when I was six, but no one when I was 19. I had to do that on my own. I want you to know that if you have ever been victimized by this, I wish you could just feel my arms around you. Know that there's a hug in your future. I love you so much. I'm sorry that that ugliness happened to you. Please reach out to someone, sweetheart, and get the help that you need so you can begin and or continue the process of healing. Because this ain't no light, fun stuff. It's nothing to take lightly. Have enough love and care and respect and valuing of yourself to start those systems working. And if those people who abuse you are still in your life, first get away from them. And then if there are ways to hold them accountable, get some allies, people to stand with you so that you can begin doing that. Because I guarantee you, if they've done it to one person, 
they have done and are maybe doing it to someone else. I love you. Goodbye.